Welcome to Living Faith Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott Martz. Visit us online at living-faith.church or in person every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And now be encouraged by this week's message. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Scott with Living Faith Lutheran here in Midlothian, Texas. I want to welcome those who are listening via podcast or listening online at living-faith.church or are now listening on AM 1390 KBEC. Now for those of you watching the video on the website or the YouTube channel, you might be wondering why I'm videotaping this outside my office rather than in the conference center uh, during the worship service. And the answer is that last Sunday when we began this series called Live New, the audio portion did not come out. There's just no, no audio. So I'm re-recording this. And I've taken the liberty of taking, of taking a little bit different approach for the introduction to this series. Now this is called Live New, and we are only covering two verses, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And in this introduction, I'm going to answer the questions, who, what, where, when, and why, when it comes to Live New and First Peter. We're going to take them in reverse order. Why, when, where, what, and who. But let's first listen to the introductory verses that Peter was inspired to write. So our text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So the first question to answer is why? Why are we calling this verse-by-verse study of 1 Peter, Live New? And the answer is twofold. First of all, Peter. We have to consider Peter. When, when Jesus first met Peter, he called Peter to leave his fishing boat behind, to come follow him as he did the other 12 disciples. And, and Peter literally left everything, and Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter and the others put their hope in Jesus. They hoped that, that he was the Messiah. Their hope died on Good Friday when, when Jesus died. And these men locked themselves behind closed doors. Peter, when Jesus was arrested on Good Friday, he denied even knowing Jesus. He called down curses upon himself and said, I don't know the man. So we, we see weaknesses on the part of the disciples you know, during the, the arrest of Jesus, during the crucifixion. But they were changed. And, and we see Peter and the other church bold to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what gave Peter new life was the new life that Jesus had. Resurrection is all about new life. We covered that on Easter here, that, that Jesus physically rose from the dead. He had a perfected, resurrected body free of pain. 
And, and Jesus coming back to life gave Peter new life. Secondly, new life is, is a common theme in 1 Peter. There are some other common themes, but, but new and life and living, born again, uh, those are definitely themes. I counted them up. There are only six chapters in 1 Peter. 22 times we hear about living and new and, and new birth. Uh, for instance, living word of God, living stone, living stones, live like newborn babies, being born again, living godly lives, living for God, live as free, live as slave, live for righteousness, live considerately, live reverently, live according to the Spirit, living hope, which we'll cover next week, and new birth. That covers the why, why we're calling it live new. Now let's cover the when. When did Peter write this first epistle? And, and the answer is probably in the 50s AD. Peter's going to mention persecution uh, three weeks from now. We'll, we'll talk about that. So the persecution these early Christians had. And most of that persecution started during the reign of Nero, the emperor of Rome. And he reigned from 54 AD to when he committed suicide in 68 AD. So we're just guessing, educated guess, that Peter wrote this epistle again in the 50s AD. So Peter would be pretty old at this point. Um, he wouldn't live that much longer before he would be put to death. Now the, the where. Where is Peter sending this epistle? Where were the people living? And we're told that the people were... We're living in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, those seem strange to our ears, but they weren't to the ancient world. All of those areas are found in modern-day Turkey. So these were real people living real lives, having faith in Christ in the world of their day in these general areas. Now, the what... What I mean by what, and answering the question what, what's the literary type of, of uh, the book of 1 Peter? 1 Peter falls into the category of what's called general epistle or letter. There were specific letters in the New Testament. Most of them were written by the Apostle Paul, not Peter. Uh, Paul wrote specifically, for instance, to the congregation in Corinth. He wrote them two letters that are recorded in Scripture. Or Paul writing to the Christians in Thessalonica. And again, we see his letters. They're very specific and uh, written to them. But then there are general letters. And, and that's what First and Second Peter fall into, that category of general letters. Not to a specific congregation, but actually to, to many Christians uh, scattered throughout different regions. Uh, the other general letters or epistle, uh, epistles in the New Testament include James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Jude. Now the who, and this, is, this will be what takes the most length in this introduction. The who. Who are the, the characters that, that Peter is writing to, and, and what about Peter himself? Our text begins, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the same Peter who was one of the twelve. This is the Peter who was the fisherman, uh, who left all of his gear to follow Jesus. And, and he refers to himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, 
An apostle is one sent out. There are two types of apostles in the New Testament. There are those directly sent out by Jesus, and, and that's who Paul was, one directly sent out by him, just a handful of men. Then there were apostles who were sent out by the church uh, in, during the apostolic era. Paul would be one of them. But, but here, Peter is referred to as an apostle. Now, the name Peter was a name given to him by Jesus. When Jesus first met him, Jesus said, I call you Peter. And, and Peter, the, the, the Greek equivalent is Petros, and it means rock. We might say rocky. Some say small pebble, which it might mean that as well. But it has something to do with stone or rock. I think an equivalent to us would be rocky. What's interesting is that Peter's birth name was not Peter. It was Simon. And Simon comes from the Hebrew word Shema. Shama means to listen, and Simon means good listener, which is kind of an irony because Peter was not a good listener. The Bible says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Peter oftentimes, oftentimes was quick to listen and quick to speak. Uh, he, he was not a good listener. But again, Jesus named him Peter, the rock. Now, our Roman Catholic friends will say, well, well yes, Peter the rock the person that Jesus built his church upon, uh, who, who Jesus made to be the first pope. Now, respectfully to our Roman Catholic friends, we disagree with that. Now, Jesus did say this of Peter in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to Peter, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the context, though, of Matthew 16 is this. Jesus is towards the end of his second year of ministry, second of three and a half years, a very short ministry for Jesus. It was referred to as his year of popularity, where hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of people during that second year were attracted to Jesus. They would consider themselves Christ followers. Most of them, though, by the way, would fall away in the third year. But at, towards the end of that second year, Jesus takes his immediate 12 disciples on a hiatus. He takes them to northern Israel, about as far north as you can get, and remain in the country at a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is a very beautiful place. It's really the source of the Jordan River that flows into the Sea of Galilee. And, and at this very beautiful spot, Jesus asked his 12 disciples two questions. The first question was this. Who do people say that I am? And he got a variety of answers from his disciples. You know, some say that you're this, and some say that you're that. And then Jesus asked them a second question, and in my opinion, it's the most important question. Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus wants their answer. He wants them to identify who he is. And it was at this question that, that Peter spoke up before the rest, and Peter said, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the context is, Peter gave a rock-solid confession, profession of faith of who Jesus is. And Jesus then replied, verse 17 of Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So he basically says, Peter, right on. You gave a correct answer. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. You didn't come up with it on your own. My Father in heaven has taught you who I am. And by the power of God, you are professing me to be the Messiah, the promised one, the son of the living God. Now, here's what you need to know here. Jesus refers to him as Simon, again, good listener, but then says, you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, and Jesus uses a different ending. He doesn't say, you are Petros, and upon Petros, I'm going to build my church. Jesus says, and upon this Petra. Now, a little bit about Greek. The original New Testament was written in the Greek language, and in the Greek language, the a ending cannot mean person. It's referring to a, a, a non-person, a concept, a, a thing. And, 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 and that's what Peter gave. Peter gave a rock-like confession of faith of who Jesus is. That's the context. It's upon the profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Jesus Christ has built his church for over 2,000 years. When we get to heaven, we're going to see people, billions from north, south, east, and west, with one thing in common. They profess that Jesus is the Messiah, their Savior, the Son of the living God. That's what Jesus meant, that his church is built on that profession of faith, and, and, and the, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't referring to Peter the person, but rather the rock-solid profession of faith that, that Peter gave. Um, by the way, Peter himself was a flawed man. If, if Jesus built his church upon Peter, then he, he, he built his church upon something that was weak and imperfect. Peter, again, you read scripture, the Bible tells us his sins. For one thing, when, when Jesus was arrested, when he was on trial with the Sanhedrin, what's equivalent to the U.S. Supreme Court, the, the Sanhedrin, they, they, they were uh, respected men, but they, they're trying Jesus illegally. Peter and another disciple watched from a distance, from a courtyard. And it was nighttime, there was a fire, and a little girl came up to, to Peter and said, hey, you're one of them. And Peter said, I don't know the man. He, he was lying. And not only that, but then Peter said, may God damn me if I'm telling a lie. He called upon curses upon himself. That's what it means. And he didn't just do it once. He did it two more times. A total of three times. This is a very serious thing. Jesus said that if we acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge us before our Father in heaven. If we disown him, well, what Peter did, he will disown us before his Father in heaven. What Peter did was a very serious thing. He, he, he was a flawed man. Also, Peter was oftentimes overconfident. Overconfident in his own strength rather than relying on God's strength. For example, Jesus predicted that he would be crucified, handed over to wicked men. And after Peter gave the profession of faith, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, shortly after that, Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, you're not. Jesus, I won't let this happen to you. Again, Peter relied on his own strength. And Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth, all of you are going to fall away. And Peter said, the other 11, they're going to fall away, but not me. I'm Peter. 
I won't allow this to happen. Again, we, we see this overconfidence, which was a sign of weakness inside of Peter. The night Jesus was arrested, men come with armed swords and clubs, and, and Peter takes out a sword and he cuts off a man's ear, and Jesus had to heal the man's ear and say, Peter, put that sword away. And again, Peter acting very impulsively. All kinds of other examples as well. Uh, Peter was a flawed person. The church was not built upon him. And by the way, Jesus is the head of the church. Ephesians chapter 5. He has been, he always will be the head of his church. God doesn't need a vicar of Christ on earth. Jesus is the head. Now, with Peter, we don't want to disrespect him. In Scripture, he definitely was a leader. All the lists of Scripture, uh, Peter is listed first in the, the list of apostles. He definitely was in a leadership position. But it was only by the mercy and grace of God. Jesus had to reinstate him as an apostle uh, and forgave him for, uh, for his, his sin. So we don't want to overestimate Peter. The church wasn't built upon him. We also don't want to dishonor him. Uh, he obviously was a leader in the early church. Now, the who also includes those that, that Peter is writing to. And again, these were Christians scattered throughout huge areas of land in, in modern-day Turkey. But Peter uh, refers to them, first of all, as God's elect. Uh, and the, the Greek word, by the way, for elect is pronounced electos. I kind of like that in Greek, electos. And it, it literally means God's choice. He said, to God's choice. And, and we hear that, and we realize that as Christians, we are God's choice. By the way, Jesus told his original disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit and fruit that will last. Same is true with us. We didn't choose God. By nature, I rejected God. God chose me. I don't know why God chose me. I'm flawed, like Peter. In my sin nature, I was rejecting God. I still do in my sin nature. Yet God chose me. It's totally by His grace. Think about when you were in elementary school and you broke for a recess, and perhaps there were you know, two captains and two teams, and uh, I'm not sure where, where you were in the list. I was not on top, but I wasn't on the bottom. I was somewhere in the top third, and it felt good to be chosen, you know, onto a team. I always felt bad for those at the end where they really weren't anybody's choice. They certainly weren't first choice. They were kind of like last choice. Well, realize you are not God's last choice. God has chosen you by grace. And, and that's amazing. We are God's choice. He didn't choose us in view of the great things we would do. The Bible makes that clear that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And, and, and God chose us. You are God's chosen. Secondly, Peter refers to them as exiles, scattered. The Greek word for exiles is diasporos. We get diaspora from that. Literally, diaspora means foreigner or pilgrim. The old writing, Pilgrim's Progress, it comes from this, that as Christians, we're simply passing through. We're in this world, but this is a temporary world. It's a broken world. We're part of that brokenness, but 
We are God's elect. We are passing through. We're, we're living out our lives by the grace and strength of God. We are aliens, temporary residents. We need to be reminded of that because it's so easy to be tempted to live for this world. And, and if, we, if we get our roots down too deep in this world, those things that we're living for become idols in our heart. And, and, and idols are always something that God is calling us, making us aware of. He's calling us to account for those sins, to get rid of those idols. Through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And but God reminds us we are temporary residents of this world. Now Peter goes on, people chosen according to God's foreknowledge. Um, the, the word for foreknowledge, the Greek word is prognosin. Prognosin. We, we should hear the word prognosis. Your, your doctor gives you a prognosis. Um, now, we operate with knowledge. I love to learn. I'm, I'm constantly learning things. I like to learn new things. It's just part of my makeup, the way God uh, made me. Now, our knowledge, though, it's, it's based on those who preceded us generations ago. People, smart people that gathered information, tested things, and you know, passed it on. And you know, we are the product of, of those who came before us. And we learn things, and we're discovering new things. Our knowledge, though, even though good, is not perfect. All the time, we find things that people in the past were flawed in their thinking. It wasn't quite right, and we understand it better today. But our knowledge is incomplete, it's imperfect. That's not the case with God's knowledge. God has perfect knowledge, and God has foreknowledge. Jesus, in his ministry, had foreknowledge. He, he knew of events in, in people's lives before they happened. And, and, and God knows everything about you, and he has a perfect knowledge. God never looks at a situation in our lives and scratches his head and says, hmm, wonder why that happened. God knows precisely why the events of this world happen. By the way, God already knows the worst about you. He knows all about your past. He knows about your present. He knows what bad things you're going to do in the future. And the good news is, is that he still loves you. And you need to realize that God loves you dearly. If God already knows everything about you, including your worst things, why not just admit them to him? The Bible says, if we claim to be without sin, we lie, we deceive ourselves, if we acknowledge our sins, God is faithful and just. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. Be honest with God, even with the, 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 the hidden things of your heart. Just expose them before the Lord. Admit them to him. Now Peter goes on that we are people who are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. The Trinity, by the way, are in these two verses. God the Father, according to his foreknowledge, the sanctifying work of the Spirit, who is sanctifying us to obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, a little bit about the obedience. We are called to the obedience that comes from faith. Faith first, God leads us to trust in Jesus that he is our complete Savior from sin, that he lived for us, died for us, rose again on the third day. But the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, setting us apart for God, making us holy. We are, we are a work in progress. It's not complete, it won't be complete until we get to heaven. But we are being sanctified right now to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Fifthly, people have been cleansed through the, the blood sprinkled by Jesus. Blood cleanses, it's how our earthly bodies work. Blood cleanses us, 
in our bodies. It takes impurities out. Spiritually, we need the blood of Jesus. His blood shed on the cross purifies us from all unrighteousness. And we are people who are cleansed, again, through the sacrifice that, that Jesus made. Two more things. Peter prays that God's grace will abound in their lives and that God's peace will abound in their lives. The who, the who that, that Peter was writing to and also writing to us, we are people for whom God's grace abounds. God's grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. He, he, he pardons us from our sins. He, he gives us forgiveness of sins. He gives us everlasting life. He gives us a relationship with him. And we are people that God's grace abounds. Gift after gift after gift. God is the most generous being there is, and he multiplies his grace in our lives daily. Don't forget it. Thank him for it. Finally, peace abounding. The Bible says that as Christ followers, we have peace that surpasses our understanding. Peace between you and the creator God, the most powerful being there is. That peace was established again at the cross, where God demonstrated his love for you and me. The great thing about the, the Christian peace is that we have this peace in spite of what's happening around us. The whole world can be falling into chaos, but we still have that inner peace through Jesus Christ that surpasses everything. Even we can have that peace in spite of what's happening inside of us. We, we could be riddled with disease, facing all kinds of trouble of heart, soul, and mind, yet we can have peace with God, and we do through Christ Jesus. So my prayer for you is that God's grace abound to you, that God's peace abound to you, that you understand what living new is all about. I'm really looking forward to this sermon series, and I invite you to come back and, and listen to upcoming messages. Have a great day. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. Visit us online at living-faith.church or better yet in person. We worship every Sunday morning at the Midlothian Conference Center, number one Community Circle Drive, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. We are very close to the Courtyard Marriott off of Highway 287. Have a great day.